You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Affected by Altitude. I am your co-host, Ben Kuchner-Kavich, a staff writer at Purple Row, along with my co-host, editor at Purple Row, Sam Bradfield. We're also joined today by editor at Purple Row, Adam Peterson, and also staff writer Nick Herzog at Purple Row is here with us today. Uh, last week, Jeff Breidich, the general manager of the Rockies, along with manager Bud Black and uh, co-owner Dick Monfort, held a press conference that our own Sam Bradfield was able to attend, among other reporters. Sam, what were your big takeaways from this uh, discussion? Well, I I wrote my article about this uh, the day after the pressers, so last last Wednesday, October 2nd. Um, And my big takeaway that seemed like everybody else kind of had similar takeaways, so I wrote a little bit different. But the big one was that there won't be any major changes for the 2020 season, even with the new deal at AT&T Sportsnet. Um, Dick Monfort, he said the deal wasn't as lucrative as he wanted to be, um, and it doesn't kick in until 2021. So basically their payroll for next year is going to be the same, or at least very close to the same. Um, and so a lot a lot of the personnel is probably going to be the same. Jeff Breidich mentioned, you know, obviously – um, the team is not going to be a hundred percent identical, but, um, cause it's hard to make anything hundred percent identical two years in a row. So the, the team is going to be pretty much the same next year. No major changes, no big splashes, um, nothing crazy like that. The other takeaways that I took from that is, um, they weren't concerned about the farm system at all, even though a lot of media pundits are saying that the farm system is kind of in near the bottom, kind of in the bottom 10 of baseball. And Breidich and Monfort both kind of dismissed that as, you know, well, we had a lot of graduations recently. And so obviously if you have guys graduate, then you're going to be quote unquote down. But, um, you know, Brent. He also mentioned on that, that because they had guys batting in the middle of the order of the Arizona Fall League game, their farm system must be pretty good. And the fact that they had a setup man and a closer in the Fall League, they must be pretty good too. So that was an, I don't know about that, if that's a way you want to characterize your uh, your farm system as being good. Anyway, No, it's fine. Uh, I, that <laughs> comment I actually thought was funny when I went back and looked at it, because he, I mean, he wasn't completely off, but... Um, Fuentes, Hilliard, and Nevin batted second, third, and fourth, so not quite in the heart of the order. And then Jesus Tinoco pitched the fifth inning and sixth inning, and then Lawrence closed the game and blew the save um, for the second time in two major appearances. So, and then we all know what happened to Justin Lawrence in 2019. So I don't know if you could characterize that as being up or down or wherever. Um, they also talked a lot about Trevor story, not being a top 100 prospect at the same time that Corey Seager was. And which was kind of interesting because Trevor story was a top hundred prospect in three different outlets before the 2013 season. Um, and then maybe kind of took a dip from there, but you know, they, it was just kind of funny. And then, um, I asked a question about what lessons they learned from this whole experience because they kept talking about every season has a lesson. Every season has a lesson. Every player takes a different lesson from every season. So I asked them what they thought. Um, and Breidich talked a lot about handling expectations. 
um, and, you know, changing how he handles the expectation, higher expectations. Um, and then he tried to go into players and what players should have taken out of this and, um, kind of some lessons that players should look into. And then Bud Black said he wanted to, he thought he should have been a little bit more hands-on early, um, and pointed out some things early. Um, and then Monfort said that he never really expected the Rockies to have as tough of a go as they did. And they never really like planned for it to be as bad as it did. So he talked a lot about planning, planning for the long run and the long life in baseball. Um, so the other big takeaway that I didn't write about was the fact they talked about Nolan Arnauto's contract and how Bradich was the one who really pushed um, for the opt-out clause. That wasn't something Nolan was interested in, in the beginning. Um, I think just it just didn't cross his mind. And so Bradich, you know, from experience and being in this industry for a long time, um, pushed for the opt-out just to um, – just to kind of have it in there before they signed it. So I, that was a big kind of newsy, newsy thing that blew up was the fact that Bradish pushed for it, not Arenado or his agent. Um, so, yeah. And then beyond like quotes and everything they said, I think the, the most interesting thing that I noticed, cause I really, I listened to what was going on and I watched cause I didn't ask a question till late. So it was really interesting just kind of watching the posture of the three of them. Cause they were up at the front of the room and, um, Monfort was on the right, closest to the field, and Black was in the middle, and Bradich was on the left, um, furthest away from the window. And Monfort was kind of—he was kind of slumped over, but he was still facing the front, and he was facing the media and ta- uh, facing forward as he was talking. Bud Black sat up very, very straight, um, kind of on the edge of his chair, and you know looked around as everybody was talking, and he was, you know, very much like he does, kind of in the in the dugout in the clubhouse and everything. <clears throat> very straight, facing the media, facing everybody. Whereas Breidich was very hunched over the whole time. He kind of sat sideways and he had his elbows on his knees and he just kind of, he looked very uncomfortable, Um, which I thought was just kind of interesting to note, especially with everything that happened during the season with the, you know, the Drew Goodman book and the brain surgery comments and all that kind of stuff. It was just kind of interesting to watch the body language can't imagine why Braddich would be uncomfortable in that situation sitting before all the reporters all at once for the first time in what? Since July. Six months. Yeah, well, since July. Yeah. And of course, oh, Patrick yeah, Saunders, right. you know, let, 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 let off with Nolan Arenado thinks this is a rebuild. What do you think? <laughs> so, and that was a great question to start off with because he tried to, you know, dodge, duck, dip, dive and dodge his way around that one and didn't quite work out. So... But yeah, so that's kind of my thoughts on the on the Rockies end of the year media av- availability. It was not a press conference, but the end of the year <laughs> media availability. Well, for it to be a press conference, they have to actually be announcing something, uh, right? I mean, not not literally speaking, but there has to be something of substance promise for a press conference. But this is just like, well, we didn't really do anything, but if you guys want to talk we're here. Like that's, that's kind of the vibe I get from that kind of language. Um, and also the vibe I got from it, uh, like kind of walking away, like, you know, watching Twitter and reading all the articles that came out of it. It's just, yeah, it just seemed like a very much a almost obligatory thing that they felt like they had to do. Which I can at least, you know, I'm glad that they did 
because if they right. had that bad of a season and just like left it at that and didn't have any availability for any of them afterward, then that would that would not be good. But yeah, Mon- Monfort yeah. made very clear his opening statement was it's not a press conference, even though it feels acts and looks like a press conference. It's an end of the season summary of something like that. So one of the big things that people talked about after after everything was said and done was the big uh, the comment, the 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 stinger, whatever you want to call it, that Bradich was the one who uh, who brought up the idea of giving Nolan the player option. And personally, like, I don't really see the big deal. Uh, we we kind of, you know, hashed this out a little bit in the Purple Row Slack. But, uh, but yeah, did you feel like that was a big deal at the time, Sam? Or was it just like, uh, or is that something that kind of came out later as more people started talking about it? Um, from what I remember, we kind of, we talked about it afterward. And that seemed, definitely seemed to be kind of the big one because we were all talking right afterward and it was kind of, okay, what do you guys think is the most newsworthy? And we kind of roundtabled it. It was me and um, Kevin Henry from Rock's Pile and Patrick Saunders and Thomas Harding and maybe a couple other people. Oh, and Nick Groke was there. Um, and we were trying to kind of decide what was newsworthy. And the big one, the big ones we came up with were the, the AT&T Sportsnet deal or whatever you want to call that. And, uh, the player opt out, uh, comment. And so, yeah, it definitely seemed to be kind of the, the big talking point. So there was an interesting comment from Bud Black at one point where he mentioned coaching changes that occurred uh, with Garrett Hampson, Kyle Freeland, and Peter Lambert were the three players he mentioned specific, specifically. He said things won't change overnight, but he expects they will help long-term. I, I'm not sure exactly what those changes are. Um, whatever obviously happened with Hampson worked as the season went on because he definitely got a lot better. Um, Freeland seemed, I don't, I don't, I don't really know if we can say Freeland was better at the end of the season when he mm. made those last two starts or not. I don't think there's really a whole big way to tell there yeah i agree um the new tv i mean deal, he couldn't be worse that's true <laughs> his era did go down a little bit um <laughs> the tv deal is not going to start till 2021 I, and it's it did actually sound i think like monfort said that they were planning to spend more money when the tv deal uh does go into effect which is not 2020 but it sounded like there was some hope maybe yeah for that's the vibe i got as well is mm-hmm. there there are there's no money this year, but there might, or this coming year, but there might be money next year in 21. Yeah. And if I recall correctly, there's a big new national TV deal that goes into effect in 2021 as well. Um, and, and I know, I know teams get a cut of that, but I don't know like what the structure of that, if that's an annual cut or if that's like a one-time lump sum or, or what have you. But um, I, I, I suppose that we might be able to expect a lot more team. Uh, if that's the case, if that's how the national deals work out too, I imagine that it might, uh, we might see some more spending from other teams at that point as well. And Furt said uh, regarding net expanding the netting at Coors Field, he said they're still working on the engineering details and said there should be more information available in the next one to two months on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a quote from Mountain Fort, which I thought was interesting, was we need to provide winning baseball, and that's what we're doing. 
uh, didn't do it last year, but we will see if they do it in the future. Yeah, it, <laughs> we need to provide winning baseball. And that's what we're doing, except for when we don't. Yeah, it, it really came across as everybody's just They feel like winners. Everybody's just chalking this year up to, this year up to a fluke. You know, they were they were injured, which which isn't an excuse even though they kept going back to it. Um but they really all just seemed to kind of chalk this year up as a fluke. And it even kind of cracked me up because um one of the themes that kind of came out throughout the year was from, you know, from upper management was just kind of our guys are good and they just need to play better. And that cracked me up because their hitting coach currently is Dave Magadan, who was the hitting coach of the 2018 Arizona Diamondbacks, who had a very similar message to the 20 th- 2018 Diamondbacks of these guys know how to hit. I'm giving them all of the information they need and they're just not doing it or something to that effect. And so it kind of cracked me up when that when a, when the Rockies hired him, I was like, Oh, here we go. And then that kind of seemed to trickle in throughout the year that these guys are good. They're just not doing what they're supposed to. (laughs) Yeah. And so Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, but 2018 was the first year of the humidor at chase, right? Yes. Okay. So Magadan comes in first year of the humidor at chase. No, I think it was 2017. Sorry. Yeah, you correct me. If, you know, could have gone either way. 2017, 2018, something like that. Um, and if I remember correctly, the Diamondbacks did not hit well last year overall. Um, and a lot of that could be chalked up to dealing with the humidor. But then Magadan leaves and then he comes here. Um, and our offense, you know, it wasn't great to begin with. Uh, you know, just be, and we can, we've talked about all that, uh, just how this team lacks depth. But, but now Magadan's kind of, throwing the same thing out there of like, well, they just need to hit, like just need to do it. And it's like, man, isn't that your job? Like, um, that's, that's really frustrating. I, th- I think we can, we'll be talking about this more as we go on, but and it was 2018. I, one of my bi- <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of my biggest takeaways from, from this year and going forward is just like, man, there, there's, there just seems to be something going on with coaching, uh, with this team. Uh, and so, something needs to, to change there. And so to hear Bud Black, even mention those changes uh, gives me a little bit of hope, but like, you know, I'm not, I'm not exactly holding my breath going forward for that, but it also just, it's comical to me the way teams always talk about injuries, even when it's a legitimate excuse, uh, which, you know, if you read Eric's piece last that came out, you know, a couple days after the season ended, not necessarily a legitimate excuse for the Rockies. Like they were sunk before the injuries really, really hit them. Uh, so, I mean, maybe you could say it prevented them from being able to come back, but I still think that would be a lame duck excuse as well. So I think it's really an issue of depth more than anything. Like um, if we talked about this before, but, you know, if, if the Dodgers have somebody either get injured or just not perform, they have somebody generally ready to take their place. Right. Yeah. Like they'll have guys, they'll have high played paid players that are just sitting on the on the bench or they have this, you know, loaded farm system because of the international talent. Uh, and so it I think that's really what the Rockies run into is just this. It, it's it's a lack of depth that if that comes about or, or that we notice mostly when there's injuries, but it can also just be for poor, for poor performance. And that's I, they just didn't have anything to recover from some of the poor performances that they got this year from Freeland, from, you know, a number of people, Wade Davis, people that we were really 
counting on uh, to be key performers. Right. And even Hampson and McMahon, like, you know, open up the season where it was more or less, it, um, it was kind of a timeshare, more like a 70, 30 timeshare between McMahon and Hampson at second base. Um, and Hampson was just, you know, not good <laughs> uh, out of the gate and took a long time to get going. And he did well in September, which is really encouraging. Uh, but by then it was too late. <laughs> by then it's too late. Exactly. Right. And so, you know, the, even that kind of depth, like even depth on just your 25 man roster, like it, it seems like there's uh, problems there. And like bringing in Mark Reynolds to be your bench bat, like, you know, I'm not convinced that that was the best decision that they could have made. And I think we all said that in spring training too. We all just kind of resigned ourselves like, well, Mark Reynolds is going to be back. So who else is going to get it? Like who, who's not going to get a roster spot because of this. So, but yeah, I, th- I think you're spot on the money there, Nick. Like, I think it's something we've talked about a lot this summer and now going into the fall and winter, it's like, uh, if there's something that separates the Rockies from the Dodgers, I mean, if it if you had to boil it down to one thing, I, I think depth is probably the best way to put it. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. One person who is definitely not making the excuse for injuries is Nolan Arenado. Um, Thomas Hardy and MLB.com. I, this is a few weeks ago now. Uh, had an article with just a bunch of various quotes from a lot of guys. McMahon and Freeland and Bud Black were all in there. But Arenado's quotes are my favorite because he said that I something to the effect of, I certainly hope we're not using injuries as an excuse. And uh, that really made me happy when I saw that from Nolan. Um, a few more takeaways from the presser. When you asked Sam your question about the lessons learned, um, I noticed that Breitich had a pretty loaded answer there, but he eventually came to the round to the point that he said a winning clubhouse starts with the players. And yeah. <laughs> uh, it's tough to get into all the lessons of each player because some are going to be similar, some are totally unique. But I do think that how cohesive a clubhouse is in tough times, we've been through some tough times and tough years in this organization. We've had down years before and we've bounced back. I think a lot of our bounce back will be ter- will be determined just by how strong the players want our clubhouse to be. Again, putting it back yeah. on the players. Yeah, it's it's like it's the worst kind of GM speak, right? Like, um, I don't know. I like it's just it's really frustrating. Yeah, I, like. Yeah. And I don't, I I mean, yes. Like, is he literally right? Like, do the players need to play better? Like, yeah. I mean, I I guess, like, literally that's what needs to happen is players on the field need to play better if you lost uh, or had a losing season, right? But you don't get the sense that he understands his responsibility 
to put them in a position um, for success uh, or, or what his role, like it, it's, I, I, I feel like, I, I think I've talked about this before too, but I, I feel like he sees himself as like just somebody who's putting the, the chess pieces on the board. Um, and he, and he sort of is like, well, it's up to the, like the pieces now to move the way that I constructed them, you know, instead of adjusting on the fly, instead of understanding that these are human beings and players, you know, their, their, their talent levels, uh, come and go. They, their, their abilities dip, um, and wane and, and, uh, improve and coaching can be a be part of that. And I, I get the sense that, and I know there's this ongoing frustration we all have too, with the Rockies lack of foresight or ingenuity with, um, you know, a big data with, with advanced metrics, um, a, a lot of things that are changing in baseball. And we get really frustrated by that. And I think it's, it's just because there's this mindset that like, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's something that where they're, well, someone, there was some rival scout that, um, said, man, it was in the Denver post and it was, uh, Saunders or Newman, like talked to, guys like Dan Samborski from Fangraphs and a bunch of other national writers. And uh, it wasn't Dan Samborski. I figured it would be, but someone said like, man, the Rockies are a great 1985 MLB club uh, front office. Uh, you know, like, you know, just, just brutal. Right. But, <laughs> but it, it, it does feel like from everything that we've heard about this team in the past uh, year or two, like, you know, it sounds about right. Uh, yeah. Cause yeah, Brad, it's, you know, puts himself off as this, uh, this blind watchmaker. It's just like, Hey, I, I arranged it. Like, you know, if it's not working, then, you know, that piece isn't doing its job. Well, man, maybe you didn't get good pieces or maybe you're bad at evaluating certain other pieces, like <clears throat> whatever cog would have Ian Desmond's name on it. Um, and so there, there's just, there's some aspect of the way, uh, that Bright is operating in that, in that it just, it just doesn't work. Right. Like, and it, and it is really <laughs> frustrating to hear, like, um, you know, there's other GMs from a couple over the past few weeks, uh, across different sports. Like, I think it was like the bears GM or uh, the Cardinals GM of, you know, in the NFL that kind of came out and said, Hey, if we're not performing well, that's on me as a general manager. Um, you know, and Bradich's letter that he sent out, like almost tried to hint at saying something like accountability, but ultimately it came down to like, well, the players just need to do better. It's just like, well, hey man, like, where does the buck really stop? Yeah, I, I agree that that's the general kind of tone that he has often is um, is to blame and not to take responsibility. Mm -hmm. And that's bad for somebody in a leadership role. Oh, yeah. When there was even, I think, a Twitter conversation at some point, or maybe it was in Slack, there was somebody at some point who was like, man, what are the players going to think listening to this press conference, listening to like their boss's boss's boss saying, you suck, figure it out. Yeah. I mean, it's not my fault. I mean, if I, yeah, if I was a player, like, so if I'm, if I don't want to be as generous as possible with Breidich, um, you know, he, he wants to communicate that he believes in the players that they have. Yes. Um, like that's, that's the most generous possible reading I can give. But I remember reading an article this summer that said last trade deadline when all they brought in was, oh, as a reliever, mm -hmm. you know, a bunch of the players were looking around at each other like, hey, you know, we could use a little bit more help than that. Like, I'm, I'm glad we got some pitching help, but like we, we could do more. Um, 
And so that says to me that the players are at least, oh, it sounds they're more realistic about what the team needs and what the team needs to do to change and to be better than their general manager is. And then you start coupling that with, you know, all these different, you know, anonymous or, gen, you know, general uh, feelings that people had in the clubhouse, like several different, you know, between Groke and Newman and Harding and uh, Saunders, like there's just this sense that no one's mad with Bud Black in the clubhouse. Like everyone knows that Bud Black is doing what he can do and, and is doing um, from their perspective, a good job, but doesn't sound like anyone's happy with the front office. Uh, which is a little challenging when they're slightly more intractable than the manager. Yeah. And if I want to try to be optimistic too, or give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe his hands are somewhat tied by, by ownership. Uh, Momfort talked about in that press conference that, well, I think he alluded to the fact that he nixed a deal at the Mm -hmm. trade deadline uh, to bring in another piece. Um, So yeah, Breidich may be, more proactive than we think he is um, and that he's not, he's, he's just constrained by financial limitations and by ownership. Um, If that was the case though, I think what we would all like is the tone should be, um, Hey, we have, we have financial limitations. We need to be better at figuring out the game of baseball. We need to be, we need to be better at, at figuring out how Coors field works at the, the, the nuances of our park. We need to be maximizing the talent we have in any possible way that doesn't involve, you know, additional free agent contracts. Right. Um, And we don't get the, the sense, I don't think for any of us that that's the, the tack that they take. It's, it's kind of more like, well, we do what we can with the money we have and it's up to the players to, uh, to, to, to play better. And that's frustrating as a fan. Yeah. And any, even if we do give them the benefit of the doubt about the financial constraints, we have to go back to, well, why do you have financial constraints? Well, it's because you gave $100 million to three relievers who right. have not That's done really well. That's a really good point. And another $70 million to Ian Desmond, who has been worse than his least optimistic projections each of his three years in Denver. Um, so like, so it still comes back to Breidich, but in, in that way. But to your point, I... I think the thing that is frustrating me more and more about the Rockies is, is that idea of what you're saying about, we have to play within our limitations. Like, you know, we saw the A's and the Rays play in the AL wildcard game. Um, two teams who combined spent less on their roster than the Yankees. Um, and they both won North of 95 games. Uh, now granted, there's a lot of crap teams in the American league, but still like they still had to go out there and play the games and win them. And so, you know, it's possible for the Rockies to make decisions and, and look for those advantages, even with the limitations that they have. But kind of like you said, it it doesn't seem like that's what they want to do. It's not, doesn't seem like that's what they're even trying to do. And that's what, that's what frustrates me as a fan at this point. Does it sound, I think it might have been Eric who said that the deadline deal that was nixed was probably involving Charlie Blackman. Does that sound like you get, do you guys think that's probably what it was? Considering how much his name was floating around, like, I mean, there's a lot of national and local writers who were talking about a Charlie Blackman trade. Um, And at the time, like, that can't all be happening unless there's some, there's no fire, there's got to be fire behind that smoke, right? Um, so it's the most likely idea for me 
like as I'm thinking about it. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a situation along the lines of, you know, trade Charlie Blackman, get Marcus a, Stroman. Yeah. A Marcus Stroman. That's exactly. kind of what we were like talking someone. about after that presser. We were kind of talking about oh, what was that deal that we think it was? And Mar- Stroman's name came up a lot kind of in the I mean, room. and isn't it isn't it concerning that Montfort feels like he has the right or I mean, he has the right, but like that he, he has the place to nix a deal. Like, yeah. I, yeah, he's the owner. Right. But he's not, he doesn't, he's not a baseball guy. Like the, this is the, why you have a GM, why you have a, uh, a coach, <laughs> et cetera, yes. is because other people know the game better than you do. Um, and I think in successful organizations, I mean, you think about like the Broncos, uh, this is true of the nuggets. Their owners were totally hands off in, football decisions they left Mm -hmm. football to the football guys patriots do the same thing um yeah and so i wonder how much meddling i mean that was a little insight maybe into what's going on in the front office that maybe momfort really is the core of the problem here is that he's consistently inserting himself into baseball decisions when he shouldn't be which is go ahead yeah which is concerning considering we've been getting the sense for the last few years that the difference between the O'Dowd regime and the Bradich regime is that Bradich has been able to have a little bit more control over uh, baseball ops how much than, more control? than O'Dowd did. Exactly. It sounds like it's not, I maybe mean, it may not be more, but it may not it be is. much more. Exactly. And so this is a place for my soapbox. And I've been saying this for years. Um, and so I'm just going to say it again. Like the worst thing that ever happened to this franchise from a personal standpoint um, and from a just a baseball standpoint as well, is the death of Kelly McGregor. Like one, Kelly McGregor was just a like a. It might be too far to say a paragon of virtue, but like you know, universally respected and liked, uh, and you know, thought highly of by by everyone. Um, and so, like for for him to die at a young age, a relatively young age, is a tragedy in of its own right. But. Um, but I think the evidence is there that the Rockies built the team that they built in the late 2000s because of Kelly McGregor and because of everything that he did from the Todd and the Toddlers movement up to the World Series uh, or you know, the National League pennant. Let's not talk about the World Series itself. Um, and so, you know, he was someone who had the trust of uh, the Monfort uh, ownership group and, you know, seemed like he was left to do what he needed to do and do what he did best. But when he, when he died tragically and uh, left that gaping hole in president of baseball operations, you know, Dick was the one who kind of stepped into that and he hasn't really truly stepped out of that since. Uh, And so I, I think that's kind of what sent us into a tailspin in the early 2010s. And I think that's the legacy of that and not having that, um, trusted voice who also knows what he's doing in that position uh, is, is really what's hurting the Rockies because because uh, Dick only really trusts himself for that or you know I don't know uh, but like if if you want to look at something that changed the course of this franchise uh, for for all kinds of reasons it, it's it's got to be losing Kelly McGregor. I think, okay, I could be swayed on this because I honestly got a different vibe about who has more, the more, more of the say in the front office from the press conference. And I thought it was more that like 
Monfort goes, I thought it was more like Monfort goes along with what Breitich wants because Breitich has, I guess, this vibe that comes from him that he is the smartest person in the room. And he may, he may very well be in a room with himself and Monfort, but <laughs> it just, I under, I under, I understand how like nixing that tr deadline deal would go against that. But like Monfort was talking about how he didn't know what streaming was. And he, <laughs> he said that a couple that. times during, yes, he kept saying that during the press conference. And so I don't know if it's, it's that or how he talks about what he doesn't know, or if it's how Breitich comes across, like he does know everything, but it really comes across to me like Monfort's allowing Breitich to like make these deals for Desmond or that he thinks Breitich, well, he knows what is going to make a good roster. So he's going to let him do it, but maybe he's the not. baseball guy. So therefore I'm going to let him make baseball decisions and just sit and let him do it. Yeah. That's what I thought, but maybe I not now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's still there, but at the same time, you know, that, that Montfort was the one who nixed it tells me that that there is still a little bit of a power play going on there. And that and so that's just one piece of evidence. And and like a like we said, like we've all thought that Bradich should you know, I think before this presser, we all would have agreed with your with that statement, Ben. Um and I, I'm not sure how much I disagree with it at all. I'm just saying like the fact that Monfort nixed a deal that he now thinks might have been a good deal, uh Put some yeah, and I kind of feel like that me. was him giving Breitich a little cover, mm. too. Um, I mean, why even bring it oh, up, yeah. right? Like, it, um, I th I think maybe you know he's sensed some heat coming Breitich's way, and and uh, wanted to set the record straight a, a little bit in a subtle way. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, well, and part of me also something has part to of change. me also wonders <laughs> if you know if it truly was a Charlie Blackman deal. Monfort's been quoted a few times saying, you know, it's the it's this is my baseball family, these are my kids, this is my family, these are my kids, you know, blah 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 blah. And so part of me wonders even if you know if it was a Charlie Blackman deal, he nixed it because oh my gosh, it's Charlie Blackman, we can't get rid of him. You know, he's he's one of my kids, he's one of the cornerstones of this team. Um, so I wonder if there was a little bit, a little bit in that too. Yeah. I mean, I think the Rockies have been loyal to a fault. Um, and again, like I personally, I do think that that kind of goes back to, you know, the 2010s and beyond, uh, or 2010 and beyond, sorry. And so, yeah, I, I think speak, Nick, you mentioned like needing that outside perspective, like you need an outside perspective to, kind of help you say, Hey, Hey Dick, I know you love Chuck and everyone loves Chuck, but this is actually a good deal for him. You know, I wrote an article when those, uh, uh, rumors started popping up about why I don't think trading Charlie Blackman is a good idea. And there's a large part of me that still doesn't think it is. And, you know, I think we'll talk about that a little bit later, but you know, if there's a good deal, if there's a deal out there, like you need to have someone who you trust, who can be able to say like, Hey, this this is actually a good deal that needs to happen. But you're right. Like it could have been, their, been him. Yeah. They need their uh, Jonah Hill from Moneyball. They need like some just like numbers dude. Who's just like, has no emotion whatsoever about any player. Right. <laughs> Maybe Breidich is a little more like that. I don't know. Uh, um, I think but, he is, but you know, I think they also talked about building up their analytics department, which mm -hmm. like, you know, we said a few years ago, like they didn't really exist in a real way. And so the fact that, I don't know. <laughs> I think the fact that they're still like, oh yeah, maybe we should build this up. Like 
guys, come on. Like, like what, what do you think these successful teams are doing? You think they're just lucking into it? Like there on. are players in the Rockies organization who are speaking on condition of anonymity that they think the team should build up the analytics department. It's not just like us bloggers saying that it's like players within the own organization. Right. Yeah. Well, and you think about guys who come in from other organizations who, who see it like, Hey, you know, I get, I'm getting less information than I did before. And like, yeah, I just, I, I think, I think that's everything that we know, you know, from Renee's, uh, book review and then what she brought to us on the podcast this summer of MVP machine. Like that's the direction that they're going. Anyone who's not doing it this way is falling behind, which, you know, they need the, the John Henry from Moneyball saying anyone who's not doing it, tearing everything down and building their teams the way you did, like is a fool. You know, it's if you're not reading MVP machine and seeing like, oh, maybe we should start doing this. Like, come on. Like, I want to I want to hear within the next week, <laughs> ideally, that Kyle Freeland has his book, his trip booked to driveline to help figure it out what he can do to get better next year. Like things like that. You know what? And uh, we got that really long fan post, which is 20, 26,000 words or something thought, like that. It was, it was, it should have been incredible. Book. It should have been a book. Yeah. There's Shout a out lot. to you for writing it because it's, it's incredible. <laughs> it's amazing. But next time, just, just break it up a couple of times. Like, I hope that. I Thank hope. you for bringing that up though. That was because by, I thought, go ahead. Yeah. Give him a shout out. A-M-U-E. S-I-N-G-1. And I just, I hope that that's for a class and there's a grade involved or there's money involved for writing no, it No, I think he said he was that. an aerospace engineer or something, wasn't he? Wow. Um, um, but I, I, his overall, like, I, if I have to step back from that dissertation um, and, and take my biggest takeaway from it and something that I, I genuinely agree with is that the Rockies should be ahead on this stuff not behind like they play in the most unique environment in baseball. And I think he is, he's so smart to point out how the Rockies should be absolutely obsessed with taking advantage of how unique Coors field is. That should be the first, second, third, fourth thing that Jeff Breidish thinks about when he goes to bed at night is how do we take advantage of Coors field? Because yeah, it's a problem for their players. It's also a problem for visiting players. (laughs) And if you build your team in a way that takes advantage of that in a smart way, uh, it could be the ultimate home field advantage. My in dad always talked about, um, and they just they haven't he, done you know, that. He's not much of a baseball guy, so we were kind of talking about the you know the pitching and how the pitching's always been kind of a struggle. Um, and he always talks about you look at some of the other pitchers like they figured out how to pitch at Coors Field. Granted, they only pitch you know maybe one, two, three games a year or over their career at Coors Field, but like if other pitchers and other hitters can figure out how to take advantage of course field, why can't the team that spends 81 games there a year figure it out? Yeah. I don't know, Ben, didn't you look up what like Kershaw has like an ERA over four at Coors field in his career? Or, like, someone, I don't, I didn't look that up. Yeah. That was my someone, article on Wade yeah. Davis. I just mentioned that. Yeah. Um, Matt and, and Kershaw both that. have like four and a half ERAs and, have had some of their worst performances at Coors Field. So yeah, it's not, yeah, there's been a couple that have had okay success there. That, that fan post we just were talking about though, he, he showed that it's actually a bigger problem on pit on hitters. So the, the fan post pointed out that the Rockies pitchers struggle less badly at home than the Rockies hitters struggle on the road. 
Um, and so there, there are things you could still do with pitching. Um, one of his suggestions that I thought was really interesting is, is really they should just be obsessed with homegrown pitching, which they, they have already really kind of made a push in that direction. He kind of said that he recommended that they go one step further and they actually, you know, have guys from single a on up that have to play at altitude. So each one of their minor league, um, Mm. clubs should all be at you know 5,000 feet mm-hmm. or above and that they need their own drive line at altitude so you, it's not enough just to send Kyle Freeland like you mentioned Adam to drive line but we should have a drive line in Denver mm. um, that's using that technology but at altitude and you just groom these guys uh, from the time they're in single a up uh, to to pitch at altitude because um, a lot do, of those things will translate on the road you do have Albuquerque and but the Hartford Yard Goats—that doesn't really teach you how to how to pitch. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's an extreme hitters park though for uh, for Hartford, but it's not the same as like dealing with a tough environment, which you know they have to do the same thing at Lancaster. Mm-hmm. Isn't the same thing as dealing with difficult conditions like uh, like the f- actual physical properties of how a ball moves at you know certain altitudes. So yeah, it's it's an interesting idea. I think. I think if I had to boil down, like, you know, looking forward into the off season, um, like my, my big wish list, like as much as I want to see the Rockies, like pulling Garrett Cole and Marcelo Zuna and like to completely reframe and Yasmani Grandal, like, you know, let's say, you know, whatever, like as much as I'd like to see those, I mean, those are short-term solutions. I want to see some long-term solutions. I want to see, I want to see some accountability in the front office. I want to see some recognition that the pro- that the problems go beyond player performance. Uh, I want to see something that says we're going to make an effort to improve, you know, how we gather and disseminate information to our players and our coaches. I want to see something that says our coaches are going to be more informed and uh, going to be more innovative about how we respond to the player performance and players' needs. Uh, like I, I, I want to see some systemic uh, improvements. Um, that's uh, that's e- even if we end up this off season, like you know, like Brad uh, Monfort says, like oh, there might not be, might not want to expect too much. Even if we don't get huge major additions to the roster, if we see some of those other additions, then I feel good about twenty twenty one, if nothing else, because you know we got we got a bunch of money coming off the books at that point, and then they can actually spend a little bit more and and make those changes. But I, I, I want to see some behind the scenes changes first. And this fan post is very pragmatic in a way because it kind of acknowledged the fact that there aren't expected to be any big splashes because it talked a lot about what could change with these players currently in the organization. Uh, the big thing in that article is about how pitchers at Coors Field need to develop splitters to have success there. And uh, they mentioned Kyle Freeland and um, Tyler Anderson as both candidates for splitters. Um, another thing that was mentioned was how Bud Black has this philosophy of how you need to pitch the fastball down in the zone. Well, that's not working. That's actually getting the fastballs in the zone are getting hit really hard. The sliders down and away in the zone are actually are getting swings and misses. But he also wrote in the in the article in the fan post that Jeff Hoffman he thinks has been a really big victim of that fastball down in the zone. So those are three starters. Well, you know, I mean, Gray and Marquez were very good last year, but those are three other starters we have in there who actually could do some things internally to make a better rotation. And have proved that they've had success. Like, you know, Jeff Hoffman's success has been in extremely small samples, but like, you know, Freeland was a Cy Young candidate 
Tyler Anderson like evoked uh, young Kershaw exam uh, comparisons early in his career. Like, you know, it's possible. And the whole down in the zone thing is just shows how far the Rockies are behind because the down in the zone thing was a thing until hitters started changing the way that they approach at bats. Like down in the zone is perfect for launch angles, like perfect for trying to lift and elevate the ball and drive it. Um, and that's why teams like the Astros are having success, like pitching up in the zone. You pitch up in the zone, it's kind of hard to get around on those walls. Like it takes exceptional hitters to get around on those. So, so it could be that the Rockies are actually coaching their pitchers to pitch to where batters are swinging now more often. Which is again why that's why I want to see. I want to see some change, some systemic behind the scenes changes because I think, like the fan post pointed out, like you brought up, Ben. That's what's going to lead to our existing players getting better. It also mentioned, don't sign any more veteran relievers who haven't pitched at Coors Field. And I think that's probably a good, a good thing to do as well. Man, that was a good conversation, don't you think? Yeah, we didn't even, like, I didn't want it to end. I know. We had so much other stuff that we wanted to talk about. So I guess we'll have to record again. Yeah, so we'll we'll come back next week. I know there are a couple of things I wanted to talk about. Continuing, we talked about that fan post, and there's still some more things I want to unpack from there, including I kind of like took some of their proposals and added some of my own twists to it, and I kind of came up with a little interesting trade proposal that I want to talk about next time. Uh, there's also um, some talk about leadership, and with the loss of Carlos Gonzalez and Gerardo Parra, what was lost there and what can what is missing among some current members of the roster that is from from the fun times that were had with some of those veterans in the past so we'll talk about that as well and of course a segment of fire up the fountains because we haven't done that in a while yeah we'll have so. we'll have a few of those as well but anyway, that'll do it for this week of Affected by Altitude. I'm Sam Bradfield. You can follow me on Twitter at SammyB underscore 27. He's Ben Kuchnerkavich. You can follow him on Twitter at BKuchnerkavich. And then as always, you can follow us at Purple Row and Alt- Altitude Effect all on Twitter. So thanks again for listening. And we look forward to keeping y'all up to date as the offseason continues. Have a great day.